It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. We're back with you for another episode of the Giants huddle podcast. Today's guest is Giants all-time great Super Bowl champion middle linebacker Antonio Pierce. Before we get to AP, I want to remind you that you can find the Giants Huddle podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms on the Giants mobile app at giants.com slash podcast and our podcast network is presented by Investors Bank. All right, let me see if I can brush off the, uh, get the rust off here. All right, now it's time to get fierce. With former Giants middle linebacker and Super Bowl champion and current Arizona State defensive coordinator, Antonio Pierce. Hey, not too bad. What's up, AP? Hey, man, blast from the past. Uh, just what, 13 years ago we was doing that? Maybe uh, maybe 12, right? Couple that years. was a long time ago. And anybody that remembers that, much credit to you for being that much of a, a loyal watcher and listener to Giants.com. AP, man, I got to tell you, I'm very envious. You're in Arizona. I just shoveled two feet of snow. I wish I was you right now, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, one thing I learned, you don't shovel sunshine, right? <laughs> Or you say it. It for that matter. No, no, I'm saying, man, you enjoy it. And uh, I'm blessed to be out here on the West with Coach Edwards and ASU. So great opportunity for me. Yeah, and congratulations, by the way. Recently named uh, sole defensive coordinator. You did it with Marvin Lewis last year. Congratulations on that. I appreciate it. I mean, listen, I haven't – not bad mentor, right? Uh, no. you know, he coached my second year in the league. Never thought in many years, you know, we would work together side by side and putting together a defense and trying to help these young men, you know, reach their goals and dreams. All right, Super Bowl 55 coming up this weekend in Tampa. It's almost a Giants reunion on the defensive side of the ball and the coaching staff for the Chiefs, your guy Spags, your guy Dave Merritt, your guy Sam Madison. What are your thoughts on seeing those guys get another run at Tom Brady? I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous. They get to get after Tom again. Uh, They're in the Super Bowl again. (laughs) You know, we should have been back-to-back champions, but that's here nor there. But um, just proud of those guys, especially Spags, you know, Left us in 08 after a great two-year run, uh, opportunity to be a head coach in the Rams. Didn't work out for him. Came back to the Giants. Thought that was going to work out, didn't. And now to see him have success uh, with the Chiefs, along with Andy Reid and what they built what they built there defensively. And, look, I'm watching the game. I'm like, oh, there go Blade. There goes Saw. There goes Tango. I can name out the blitzes. I mean, hell, <laughs> I, like line me up and I can do it, you know. I know, like, the back of my hand and – it's good to see it. And you know, when it's right, you know, it's like, when you just kind of like read a book, you know, when you're reading the right book. And for me, as I watch these guys play this year, it's very impressive to see them maintain the level of mental and emotional toughness through this COVID year, but dealing with, they dealt with, you know, having zoom meetings, not being in practice, not being in the building and Spags has, as always kept that rock solid foundation together with the unit. What makes Spags special as a defensive coordinator? He, you know what? He's patient. He's calm. I used to call him a mad scientist when he ran around the building at Giant Stadium, and I couldn't grab his attention because he was so focused and dialed in. <laughs> but he's not distracted. I mean, I, I won't even dare to call or text or reach out to him this week because I know he is, you know, ironed, sharp focus on what he has to do with the, the, with the Buccaneers. But to me, what makes him special is that he relates to the players. He listens. So well, so many times as a coordinator, you have all the answers. And it was so many times I would go to Spags with a suggestion or another coach. Look, I was with the boys on Thursday night. We were talking. That ain't going to work. I know you see it working upstairs, but it ain't working on the grass. And he would listen. And talking to Sam Madison and Dave Merritt uh, over there the last couple of weeks and months, the same thing's going on. You know, they have their bell cows of guys who they kind of uh, entrust to, to 
send the information, give the information to the players. And obviously they got some really good players. Um, but he just gels everything together, man. He's a very calm presence and is very welcoming as a player. It seems to me, too, that he needs a certain type of player to work his system, right? Because we've seen him in DCs and spots, and it hasn't worked out too well because you need a, a certain level, I think, of intelligence, for one, and ability to study tape and react to really execute his defense. So what is it uh, about his defense that requires a certain type of player, and what type of player is that to make his defense work? Well, I'm going to be biased. He's a Mike linebacker, okay? <laughs> <laughs> He's a sharp Mike linebacker that kind of gets it, um, that understands ball, um, I think all, obviously somebody that rallied around is the troop. You know, he has a great playmaker in Honey Badger, Teron Matthew. He has a dynamic D lineman in Chris Hutchinson and Chris Jones. But Mike Hutchins and his linebacker core do an outstanding job of delivering the information that they're giving throughout the week to the players. You can see the communication. I mean, the hand signals are the same that we have with the Giants. And I'm watching them perform pre snap, post snap throughout the play. And, um, that's how his system is built because there's a lot of checks, right? If you remember, there's a lot of check with me's, whatever the office do, let's have the final answer. And, and if you had that guy um, and which he does in both all three levels, you know, it makes a dynamic defense for Spags and he really relies on the intelligent football players. You know, it might not be the guy that can blow away the combine and be the guy that breaks all time record, but it's a guy that, you know, probably in about 10 years from now, he'll be coaching in college or in the NFL somewhere. And those are guys he wants. Absolutely. How about Sam Madison? Are you surprised he went into coaching after he did so much of the stuff on the media side? You know, he he kind of did the AP route, except yeah. it took a little bit longer to do the coaching. Yeah, yeah, man. Listen, I, me, me, me and Mad Dog were doing media row one year at Super Bowl, and then he's coaching <laughs> high school. I'm coaching high school. And then, you know, you know Spags had, you know, obviously had reached out to me as well to coach over there with the Chiefs. And, and he's like, hey, you know, Sam Madison coming. I'm like, Sam, who? Sam Madison. I'm like, wow. And, and we talked about it, and I think the opportunity for Sam to get with, you know, obviously Dave Merritt, who coached him when we were together in New York, and to be underneath the system that he was very familiar with. You know, Sam was a savvy player. At the end of his career, yeah, was he as sharp uh, from a physical standpoint? No. But mentally, uh, you know, understanding concepts and, and splits by the wide receivers and what the offense is trying to do to us, uh, he was at all-time high. And if you watch their corners play, you know, they press corners, they got long arms, they tackle well, they play the ball when it's in the air. That looks like Sam Madison and Patrick Sertain when they play together with the Dolphins. And when I watch them, I'm impressed because it's very difficult to come from high school and make that jump right to the pros where high school, you check in, you got, you know, check class schedules. So now you're dealing with grown man. Uh, you're there until midnight. You don't see your family. Uh, it is an adjustment for him. But Sam, obviously, as a, as a pro and a Pro Bowl player, is all pro coach as well. And then David Merritt, one thing I always remember from the Giants safeties classes, and especially in that game against Tom Brady in 42, and we'll talk about that, they always got their assignments right, AP. And the one thing you want from a safety, don't allow that big play, right? And that's what David Merritt seems to be good at uh, preventing. Yeah, teacher. You know, he's a teacher. He's the ultimate teacher. and did a great job. And here's a guy who played linebacker, you know, working down in the back end. And obviously, he's taking the time throughout his years to really study the game of the secondary and offenses, what they do from a passing standpoint. It's impressive to watch Dave kind of just transcend, shocking that, you know, he has an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator, which I think at some point hopefully will come his way in the near future. But, you know, Dave is another guy who can talk to the players. He he resonates with the players. He doesn't give you a lot. He gives you his you know, three to five key points, and, and they really dial in and hone in on those. And you see the result every Sunday with the way those guys are playing. Again, what he's done with Honey Badger and what Spags has done with that, 
that safety and that, that unique special player that he has there is, I think, a true testament to Dave Mayer. Hey, Giant fans, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. Now you can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. How much do you remember, AP, about your Super Bowl 42 game plan? Tell me a question. Come on. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't even know how to phrase the question. That's All it. right. What, 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 what was your most common third down go-to call against Brady in that game? Ah, yeah, we went sniper, sniper blitz when we brought Jabril Wilson and Kavika Mitchell off the edge from the passing strength. I'm dropping and rolling, rocking and rolling, doing my deal and coverage. And then really the best one was, hey, go get him. Four, my 4D lineman, go get him. <laughs> rush. We called it Rush Reno. Um, we was playing cloud over here on Randy Moss. Kept our coverage too safety over the top, make sure he didn't catch anything deep. Longest ball he had in that game was 18, 18 yards. Totally different than what he did in uh, week 17 against us. You know, we kept the ball in front of us. Everything was top down. And the most important thing we did in that game was disguise. I mean, we disguised. And, and Tom Brady, you know, Spaz is going to do the same thing. If you read his comments this week through the media, he said it. He's seen it all. You know, but how do we disguise it? How do we change it up? How do we confuse the wide receivers probably more importantly uh, with their route adjustments to what they're going to do in their zone coverages and, and pressures? Because Spaz is going to bring the heat. You're not going to allow Tom Brady to sit back there and pick you apart. You can't. And um, for me, that Super Bowl, what I do remember is that's just constantly the main focus was obviously, you know, hitting him, but moving him off his spot, making him tap dance, as I used to call it, uh, have happy feet, not comfortable in the pocket, and more importantly, throw the ball quickly so we can rally up to it. Then the ball go up like a rainbow and watch Randy run down the field waving his hand. Couple things I want to follow up on. You mentioned the disguise. And one thing I think you look back, you guys never played the same coverage two straight snaps, right? And you mentioned it. You've got like Brady. He's seen everything. He knows everything. But is there a way, even with a guy like that, to make him have to take that extra split second to figure out what you're doing to let that pass rush get home? Yeah, you do. And, and, and the thing about the Chiefs, and I, I remember, is very similar to us. You know, to us in year two, they they execute at a high level. Uh, they everybody understands their responsibility and what they can do. And when you do that you can play around a little bit more and you'll see a lot of looks where it's too high. They're going to drop to a single. It's too high. And they're playing zero coverage. Uh, it might be one high and, and, and they're bringing all out pressure and, and they're coming and they're in casino or zero blitz as they call it with Spags and the Chiefs. So um, and again, I think it is very unique with Brady because he's going to get the ball out hot and quick. I think the most important part of the game uh, this Sunday is if they can tackle well, they're, 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 you know, Spag's deal with tackle efficiency being with him was always around 85, 90%. If you do that, you got to win a performance. If they're around that percentage tackling, it'll be a good day for the Chiefs. Did you guys blitz Brady much in that game? And I don't remember you guys doing it much. It was mostly trying to get him with four, right? And can you blitz a quarterback like Brady that often, or is he eventually going to kill you on one of those? No, we did. I mean, you did. If you remember when they were backed up, we really brought pressure. That's the one with Jabril Wilson got a sack. Kavika, Kavika Mitchell That's came right. through the mm -hmm. eight gap. He kind of sugared and then came back. Um, we did. That wasn't a big part of our game plan. But to change it up, you have to do it. And then behind it, we played zone coverage. We never played zero. There's no way we was going to guard Randy Moss in zone coverage. Didn't do it. No. Our safety is about 35, maybe 40 yards deep. You know, they were out the screen. So that wasn't going to be a possibility. But really the key thing for us, and I think it's going to be for Spags as well, is make them one-dimensional. 
you know, when you look at our game in that Super Bowl, we all those guys on the 50 yards rushing. We, we, we took the run game out. Brady had to throw the ball. And if he can do this this week with, you know, um, uh, the running backs that they got to deal with, with Jones and uh, Fournette. Fournette, you know what I mean? Hell, I mean, that, that's what's going to be key because the crazy part about it, you got to deal with Gronkowski, you got to deal with number 84, you got to deal with 13, you got to deal with Antonio Brown. I mean, they got some weapons very similar to what they had in the Patriots. And Spags is going to make them one-dimensional. I know it. Uh, been around them long enough. They're going to take away the run and then mix up the coverage in the back end. One thing I remember after that game, Steve Spagnuolo said it was one of the best assignment sounds games he's ever seen out of James Butler, one of your safeties, how he was always in the right spot. And you mentioned they just didn't make any big plays. And people forget, maybe they don't forget, but they, they should remember. At that point, that Patriots offense was literally the best offense in the history of the league. I still think of all time because they were scary. When you look at what they were beating teams by that year, I'll say 14 points or more on an average, it seemed like. Uh, they were trying to embarrass you. They were making a statement to the league. Um, it was very unique to play them. And if you remember with James Butler, he blew a coverage in week 17. I mean, they went back-to-back plays right at him. And, and I think Sam Madison was on that side. And he wasn't deep enough. And he thought he was deep. 30 yards wasn't deep enough. You need to be 35 because Randy went right by him. And I think he learned the lesson. And that, that's what was so critical about the year for us, that in week 17, we got to see, first of all, how fast they were, what they like to do offensively. So it made it much easier to plan for that for two weeks to be prepared for it for the Super Bowl. And our guys, again, like you said, were dialed in. I mean, listen, we had so many meetings that week in Arizona and going over film and going over tendencies and going over our responsibilities that, I, I mean, I'll be honest, the Patriots could have threw anything at us that day, we'd have been ready for it. How different, because it's a similar situation this year, right? The Chiefs and Bucks played earlier in the year. Chiefs won that game, but it was close. Same deal. You guys played the Bucks in week 17. Now, much different game. It was a high scoring affair, back and forth. How much, AP, was your game plan similar or different in the Super Bowl compared to what it was in week 17 from a defensive perspective? It was similar uh, to a degree. We played a little bit more men in that game. Uh, we got caught up in some matchups that wasn't favorable for us in, in week 17. Um, what we did learn, though, is that they couldn't block Justin Tuck inside. And that was the whole key to our thing and where to put him over Logan Makins to then change up. Because I recall them always constantly calling me to Mike and setting their protection that way. That, that's when we came up with the deal with me and Kavika, kind of rocking and rolling, kind of sugaring it, and one guy going and one guy dropping. Um, so, you know, we did change the thing. We took a lot of what we heard on the game tape from the checks, from what Brady was saying, from who they were miking, how they were looking at their protection. And then we kind of we flipped a lot of our calls that we had done. The same deal, but we just instead of coming strong, we went weak or vice versa. Interesting. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Hey, Giant fans, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So one more question, AP, about that game. To me, the turning point of that game were the Patriots two possessions right around halftime. They're driving down. They get into your territory. Justin gets the strip sack on Brady. They don't score before the half. And then you guys get them in that, I think it was fourth and 13, right? In their first drive of the third quarter at the 31-yard line. We all thought they were going to kick the field goal. They go out there and they go for it. You get the stop. 
just take yeah. us through those two possessions and how important you think those were in terms of keeping you guys in a one possession game and allowing you to make that run at the end. Yeah, just talking about points off the board. You know, you're talking about a Super Bowl that was played and at halftime, you're talking about a, a seven, a, what was it, seven to six? I think I actually, score, I actually right? had the box score up. I was ready for this. But it was seven um, three. It was seven three. Yeah. Seven three was a score, right? They scored. We scored in a field goal. Um, I nobody expected that, right? We were supposed to get blown out by halftime. But to us, the key thing was keeping that that team really, it wasn't 14 points, it was under 24. If we could have kept under 24, we felt like we had a shot. Anything close to 30 or more, uh, we didn't feel like we can get into a scoring match and a shootout with those guys. So, listen, I, it's funny when I look back, and I know the Rams played them a couple of years ago and did a good job defensively against them. But when you look at that and you look at that team in particular, the way they were built, and to say we held them to seven points at halftime, and those stops were critical of keeping field goals off. And again, very arrogant team uh, that only really – relied on touchdowns so much, so so to say, right? They wasn't into the field goal. That wasn't cool enough for them. Um, again, it goes back to the arrogance of them trying to uh, embarrass you. And I think for us to have those stops, I remember the Kevin Falk stop, you know, getting after him on one of those fourth downs. I think that was critical. And I think more importantly, when you watched us play in that first half, especially how fast we looked, we, we were running, man. And I go back and I watch the game every so often because you see highlights, but you got to go back and watch the game. And we were running. We looked fast. I mean, we all – Hell, we had our track shoes on that day. And that was the mindset of all 11 guys getting hats to the ball, uh, not leaving one guy on a one-on-one situation to tackle. And that's the team defense. That's what made that team the ultimate team, in my opinion, because it wasn't the prettiest at times for us throughout the season and even in that Super Bowl, but you couldn't break us. It was the first year that you could not break us. You couldn't come at us through media. You couldn't break us with adversity. It didn't matter what you threw at us. The guy just kept rolling with the punches. People that didn't live it, I think – Remember the David Tyree catch, then the Plastico touchdown, like, oh, game over. I will never remember the anxiety that we had just watching the game and, and calling the game from the radio booth. As Tom Brady got the ball back at his own 26-yard line, only 29 seconds but three timeouts with that offense. What were you guys saying to each other coming out for that final series to get them off the field? What was your confidence level at that you were going to be able to get that stop? Again, only up three. They only needed a field goal to secure that win. I tell you what, again, I'm using the word, I mean it respectfully, is the arrogance of them. Um, with three timeouts, every ball went 50 yards or more. It did, yeah. You're right. They were taking shots. They was Randy Moss, Randy Moss, Randy Moss, Randy Moss, right? It was just, <laughs> oh my God, they didn't throw any other combination at us, but just try to throw the ball over our head. And every time it was close, you know, so. I will I never forget AP, Corey Webster, Corey Webster just getting his hand up getting his fingertips on that deep ball, knocking it away, man. That thing was inches away from being a catch. And go back and watch this on film. Guys are lying 20. I'm at 15 yards deep. I think uh, Butler, who are Jabril Wilson, was on that side. He's about 25, 30 yards deep. He still threw the ball 50, 60 yards down the field, and it was almost biased again. So um, you didn't really feel that the game was going to be over. I felt until that confetti came down, man, because with a team like that, again, not to say we didn't believe, but we knew we was up against, you know, a lot of odds against us. And when Jay Offered sacked him on second and 10, he felt a little bit more comfortable. It was third and 20. They still threw the ball 60 yards. <laughs> and it was fourth down. It was like, all right, come on, man. We, they're not going to do it again. They did it again. And if you thought the game was over, then it was like, damn, we got to go out there. We got to take a knee. All right, don't mess up the knee. Then you watch, like, are we going to get the snap down? Like, because, you know, the Patriots will do something where they get the center and knock it over. So you didn't know that game was over 
and felt comfortable to, we got in that locker room, man, and you just saw everybody's face. And it was, you know, it's something I'll never forget. And, and I can sit here and look at you today and really visually remember seeing everybody's face in that locker room and just the smile and the joy and just the, the emotions that overwhelmed us in that locker room after the game. As a middle linebacker, put that helmet back on with the little green dot. How is your preparation and approach different if you're facing Brady versus Mahomes? And are you happy you never okay. had to face Pat Mahomes, by the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but I watched a lot of them. Uh, you know, it, it's you got to cage rush him. I don't want to give him the the Michael Vick treatment. Um, I give him the you know the Aaron Rodgers treatment or let's say uh, Don Vic McNabb treatment, where you better keep him in the pocket. When he gets out the pocket, it's dangerous because they have the speed of wide receiver to get vertical or run away from your leverage. So he's a guy that I would really stress on telling our DNs, hey, man, keep that dude inside the tackle box. You know, allow him to step up. We can rally to that. But when he gets outside, I'm in a damn situation because do I go get him or do I stay with my receiver? So uh, that's how we would attack him, which is different than Brady because he was, you know, he was a tree. He was going to be at five, seven yards, and that was it. Wasn't going to move. All right. Let me ask you one thing about kind of these offenses that are popping up in the league because I feel like a lot of these offensive principles, AP start in college and they get brought into the NFL through college. So what are some of the things you're seeing now in your experience as a college DC that you think could be coming into the NFL? And, and as a defensive coordinator, all the rules are made to make your life as difficult as possible. How are you dealing with all these millions of fast guys just running around with all this space that your guys have to cover? Yeah, I think we're seeing it, and not just with the Lamar Jacksons of the world, but the RPO system, right? Uh, you even saw it with Green Bay, you see it with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, not so much Tom Brady. There's no run threat there. But everybody else has this RPO, this run pass option, and it's very difficult. And on top of that, they have designed runs for the quarterback. You know, and that's coming to the league. You're seeing that with a lot of different quarterbacks. You know, you saw with Baker Mayfield. You know, he, he had a designed run, you know, where he's getting to the sideline for a first down. And it's like never before with the NFL risks – you know, they're a hundred million dollar guy uh, to run the ball. And now they're doing it. I, what I see now in college, there's not a lot of pure quarterbacks that can sit there and just pick you apart and go through progression. They got one, two read It's one, two run. That's what we could tell our guys one, two, and they're going to run. All right. You take those away. They're going to run. And you see that in college and seen that in the pros as well. And, and if the quarterback player doesn't, you know, pick up, or these guys don't become better passers, I think you'll see more and more of these design quarterback runs, not like Lamar Jackson, let's say, but what you see with Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. And a lot of vertical stuff, right? I mean, I see a lot of quarters coverage in, in college now. Is, is that something that you think, you know, because, you know, we, we, had, the cover, you know, because we, we had the cover two craze back with the Bears back in the day with yep. Peanut Tillman. Then you had the Seahawks with their cover three stuff. Are we going to see quarters now, you think, kind of move to the NFL here to prevent some of these big plays? I would say so because, you know, that guy's uh, he's, he's a half man in a run game, right? They sit at 10 or 12 yards, and they're really the second-level defender for the quarterback, okay, because of the run-pass option. If that quarterback escapes and you know, he decides to run, that guy's going to come out of, you know, his quarters coverage and, and pull the quarterback up. Now, it's going to be some leaky yardage there. And you see the Rams. The Rams were a big team that played quarters and are cover six, you'll yeah. say. Cloud on one side, quarters to the other. Uh, but I do see that, you know, even for us here, you know, we were a cover two team here last year at ASU, and eh, it, it worked. Man, that running quarterback's a problem. And you don't ask your half-field safety to come out of half-field to tackle a quarterback, but you ask your quarter safety to do it. You want to ask your post safety to do it, but you ask your quarter safety to do it. So mm. um, I do think that's kind of the trend you'll see. And I think also that's why the NFL is hiring a lot of these college coaches. 
And are we just going to see this continuous flow of 5'10", 5'11", guys that run 4'4", four, 4'4", four, four and wide receiver? I looked at the Senior Bowl. There's just a bunch of 5'10", fast guys that nobody can cover. Is this basically what we're going to see coming out of college for the most part the next few years? Diamond does it. It's easy to recruit that guy. You know, I'd be <laughs> we, got a, we got a kid here named Johnny Wilson that's very similar to Plaxico, and, and we love him. I mean, uh, he looks like Mike Evans, to be honest, more like because he's light-skinned. He's a big gentleman. He's about 240 pounds and wide receiver. But, you know, we're, we, we want those big bodies because most corners that we go up against are 5'10 and under. But I will tell you this. It's easy for me to go recruit a 5'10 wide receiver that's pretty fast, right? The only thing I'll say now, we're going to play those boys in the SEC world, and they got them long corners that are going in the first, second round, <sighs> and they can run. That's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. By the way, your guy Darby did a real nice job at the senior bowl, by the way. He's trying to go three for three. I, I hope he can get in the first round, but I think more importantly, he'll get drafted and somebody's going to get a really hard-working wide receiver. Hell, he's built like a linebacker. I would take him in a heartbeat. All right, so how about you, AP? You're DC now. Uh, how has this process been for you? You went from broadcasting to the high school coach. Now you're college DC. What has this process been like for you? What have, what have you learned about coaching? Did you ever think you'd want to put in all the time? I'm sure you have to with the recruiting and the film work and all this stuff. Just what has it been like? It's been interesting. I never thought in many years I'd be coaching in college. Um, obviously, the opportunity came. I was there at 17 with the Giants. That didn't work out. Coach Edwards got a, uh, got the head coaching job and called me right away. Actually, we were playing the Raiders when he called. And um, I'm happy with what I've done because at the end of the day, you want to help change people's lives. I love to win the Super Bowl and do things of that nature and, and host Lombardi. But, man, seeing an 18-year-old or 21-year-old live out their dreams and play in the NFL or smell it or get a taste or a touch of the NFL – to me, is the ultimate goal because uh, you're one in a million, right? It's one of the hardest things to do and then to maintain it. And to see the joy in everybody's face because, as most players say, when they make it, they took care of their family, or at least they set their family up. And if they use their platforms correctly, and, and I think we're giving them the guidance here because of our professional background, um, you know, we're setting these guys up for success because we're telling them what to expect when they get there, right? When they get with the Giants or get drafted. Darnay Holmes. Hell, I called Jesse Arnold today, man, y'all got to draft Darnay. I had Darnay when he was – 12, 13 years old, and he was a stud for me as a freshman. So I said, listen, this is a guy, I don't know where you all at in the draft, you need a corner, but you should take him. Interesting. So based on what you said, you're open, like keep coaching college, head coach college, head coach pros. What is, what's the Antonio Pierce goal here moving forward for you? Antonio Pierce, head coach of. That, that's it. You don't care. Head coach of. I like it. Well, hopefully we'll get to see you in that role pretty soon, AP. Congratulations. Great stuff today. We really appreciate it, man. Uh, stay safe out there, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you. That's former Giants middle linebacker and Super Bowl champion, not to mention current Arizona State defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce. We thank him for joining us on today's episode of the Giants Little Podcast. Great reminiscing with AP. If you guys remember that joke at the beginning, we did our Fierce with Pierce video show on Giants.com back in the day, uh, weekly for a few years, and, and just a really good dude, such a smart football guy. And I have no doubt that he will be an excellent head coach at some point, either at the collegiate level or in the NFL, very, very soon. Giant fans, I want to remind you that the Giants Huddle Podcast is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our programs at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star positive review if you like what you hear. 
For Antonio Pierce, I am John Schmelk. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Giant Subtle Podcast. Enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend, Chiefs and Bucks. We will see you next time, everybody. Stay safe.